Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Jew Podcast, where we dive deep into Torah and Judaism to uncover its hidden beauty. Come join us as we take a closer look and breathe new life into traditional Jewish ideas. And now, here's your host, Rabbi Moshe Siegel. Hello, and welcome to episode 68. With Passover coming up soon, I thought it would be a great idea to clarify some laws and concepts of how to properly prepare your house for Pesach. I like to frame it as setting up your Pesach zone, that when you enter into your house, it's not just the place you live, but it's your Pesach zone. Similar to Sukkot, when we walk into the Sukkah, we're entering a whole new space with a new ability to connect to God in our Sukkah zone. On Pesach, we remove all of our chametz and connect to God through our Pesach zone. So how do we do this? The Torah tells us, as many of you probably know, we are forbidden to eat chametz on Pesach. What's less known is that there's actually a second biblical prohibition that you're not even allowed to own chametz on Pesach. And this is true even if you'll never eat it, and even if you aren't on the same continent as your chametz. It's an independent prohibition against owning chametz. So before we explain these prohibitions, let's first define terms. What exactly is chametz? Chametz is any leavened form of the five grains of the Torah, which are wheat, barley, spelt, oats, and rye. So basically, any food with one of those grains in the ingredients that rose during processing is forbidden on Passover by Torah law. As a general rule, Even if chametz is only one of the ingredients of the food you're eating, and even if it's far down the ingredient list, in most cases it will be prohibited to eat it or even own it on Pesach. You can definitely feel free to reach out to me, thethinkingjewpodcast at gmail.com, with any more specific questions. Now, when discussing getting rid of this chametz from our possession, there's the general cleaning and removing chametz from our homes, and then there's the more specific laws of preparing your kitchen for Passover. Today we'll discuss cleaning your house in general, and in the next episode, we'll discuss preparing your kitchen. Since the kitchen is directly used to cook chametz throughout the year, and you'll be cooking food for Pesach in that same area, it has its own set of laws about how to use the shared cooking space, so we'll save that for its own episode. So let's begin. As we mentioned, there are two independent prohibitions one against eating chametz, and a separate one about owning chametz. Let's start with owning chametz. Again, this has nothing to do with potentially eating this chametz. This is a standalone prohibition of the Torah against owning chametz. One is prohibited from owning any chametz, whether it's a business he owns or in a different location that he won't be near on Pesach. Since many people practically do have chametz in their homes that they can't just throw out, you might have hundreds of dollars of whiskey, or just general chametz items that you don't want to get rid of because you'll want them after Passover. So what most people do is they sell their chametz to a non-Jew for the duration of Passover. The non-Jew becomes the legal owner of that chametz during the eight days of Passover, and then after Passover, you buy it back. The simplest way to do this is to designate an area in your house in which you'll keep all of your chametz items. And this should be a place that you're not planning on accessing during Pesach, like maybe a specific cabinet or something like that. And put 
all of your chametz items in that area, lock it up, tape it off so that you won't accidentally access it on Passover, and then the actual sale is generally done through your rabbi. All the members of the community will meet with the rabbi in advance, fill out a basic sheet with the details about their chametz, and they'll then designate the rabbi to be their agent to sell the chametz to a non-Jew. The rabbi facilitates the legal transfers the day before Passover, and he also facilitates buying it back shortly after Passover is over. If anyone would like to arrange to have me be their agent to sell their chametz, feel free to reach out. So that's how you avoid owning chametz. You sell it to a non-Jew through that process. Now let's discuss the more famous prohibition against eating chametz. Since one is prohibited from eating even a very small amount of chametz, we clean our homes, our cars, cubicles, or any other personal space that you'll be using over Passover to ensure that you won't even accidentally come across chametz there and eat it on Passover. Since this is a practical concern, if there are any rooms in which you never bring chametz, you would not be obligated to check those rooms. It's not a spring cleaning. You don't have to make every part of your house look pristine. You only have to try your best to remove contact with chametz. So for example, if you never take food into your bedroom, you would have no obligation to check it and clean it for Passover. And the same applies if you don't eat chametz in your garage or the upstairs of your house or any other room. However, anywhere where you do eat chametz, say for example your living room, and especially if you have kids, there's often a lot of interesting things you find, pretzels, cookies, and lots of other delicious delicacies in between the cushions of your couch. So we would clean and vacuum those areas very well to get rid of all of the chametz. Naturally, any place that you frequently use for chametz runs a higher risk of chametz remaining there. So any cabinets in your kitchen or pantry, wherever you store any chametz during the year, should be checked even more carefully and wiped down to make sure no chametz remains there. One more important point about checking for chametz is that since the concern is that you might come across chametz and eat it, if there's a place that you won't be accessing at all over Pesach, say for example, behind your refrigerator, you wouldn't be obligated to check there unless you believe there might be an olive's worth of chametz there. If it's just a little bit of crumbs though and you're not going to go there over Pesach, there is no obligation to check that area. The last law I want to mention is that on the night before Passover, we'd perform a ritual called Bidikas Chametz, which means checking for chametz. During this, we double-check everything in the house and ensure that all unwanted chametz is gone or placed in the right spot to be sold to a non-Jew. Since we've practically already checked the whole house for chametz, the custom is to hide 10 little pieces of chametz and then someone else in the house searches for them, thereby accomplishing the mitzvah of checking for chametz at the prescribed time. As a general advice, if you're doing this, make sure your chametz is sealed very well in like a Ziploc or something like that. And it's probably also wise to document where you place the 10 pieces, as it happens sometimes that the person who hides them forgets exactly where they placed them, and the other person can only find nine of the pieces, and now you know there's some missing piece of chametz somewhere in your house. So to avoid both of these problems, make sure it's in a sealed bag and that you know exactly where all of them were hidden. The next morning, which is the morning before Passover begins, we do a ritual called the beer chametz, which literally means destroying the chametz, in which we take that chametz we found and we burn it. At the conclusion of both of these processes, we announce that any remaining chametz in our possession should become ownerless, 
And you can find the text for this at the beginning of most Haggadahs, which is the Passover book. And I'll also link the text with all the other sources we're quoting here in the episode details. That's the basic laws of preparing your house for your Passover zone. And I want to just take the last few minutes together to look at the deeper side of why. Why is the Torah so demanding that we remove all the chametz from our homes? Why is it not enough to forbid just eating it? Why are we not even allowed to own it? And what does chametz really represent in Torah philosophy? So we know that one of the most basic and essential elements of the world is the concept of time. Most scientists nowadays consider time to be the fourth dimension of our world. Just like our physical world exists with the three dimensions of height, width, and length, it also only exists by moving through time. Einstein's theory of special relativity basically explained that there is a direct relationship between the three-dimensional physical world, between a mass, and the fourth dimension of time, space-time. Now, from a philosophical perspective, we know God exists beyond our physical world, meaning God isn't limited to the three dimensions of space. The opposite, God created space. And so too, God also exists beyond time, which makes a lot of sense, since we know time is inherently linked to the physical world, like we just mentioned from Einstein's theory, So obviously, time is also a creation of God. Both space and time are creations of God, and therefore God exists outside of them. This is how the great Kabbalists explain a mystifying passage of the Talmud that states that the first of the ten utterances in which the world was created was the very first word of the Torah, the word Bereshis, in the beginning. A great rabbi known as the Vilna Gon explains that this first word of the Torah, Bereshis, in the beginning, created the reality of time. And the following nine utterances created the three-dimensional physical world. With this in mind, let's now look at the difference between chametz and matzah and see what they really represent. Chametz rises and expands. Chametz looks much more appealing than matzah. It tastes much more delicious than matzah. Chametz had the opportunity to develop and evolve in the world of time. Matzah, on the other hand, is unleavened dough. It's a dough that never rose. It wasn't allowed to expand over time. Rather, it remains flat and hard in its simplest yet purest form. Matzah is untainted by the physical world, so to speak, beyond time. So the deeper sources teach us that on the holiday of Passover, on which God miraculously delivered the Jews from Egyptian bondage, he also lifted us into tremendous spiritual heights. He connected us to our spiritual source, which is a zone beyond time and beyond space. It was on this level and with this transcendence that the Jewish nation was born. So to commemorate the birth of our nation, to remember that elevated level that God brought us to, We remove all the chametz from around us for eight days. We try our best to live in a world of matzah, to reconnect to our spiritual source that, like the matzah, exists beyond time. And that, my friends, is what we're really setting up in our homes as we convert our houses into our Pesach zone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions at all about what I spoke about or in general about Pesach, feel free to reach out to me. 
Until next time, have an amazing week. Thank you for listening to the Thinking Jew podcast and for taking the time to study Torah and deepen your connection to Judaism. If you found value in today's episode, please leave us a rating or review and subscribe to the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or topic requests for Rabbi Moshe, please email the Thinking Jew podcast at gmail.com or visit thethinkingjew.com.